0: As we start talking about uh, gender identity today, I wanna start off by saying just a few things. One is that I am not an expert in this. Uh, This is a very, very complicated issue, and I didn't realize how complicated it was until I started studying it, Uh, until I started looking really deep into um, all of these things. I didn't realize how complex of an issue it is, and it's because of how much our culture has blurred the lines of what is truth and what is a lie. Um, So by saying that I'm not an expert, some would say that I'm discrediting everything that I'm about to say. I don't think that's true uh, because I'm not technically going to be talking a whole lot about the issue because there's a larger thing as I was studying and as I was reading so many stories about why people are struggling with this, why people are making the decisions that they are. I found that there is one theme that we talk about in church all the time, and I'm not gonna talk, tell you what it is yet because I want to keep you engaged. If I tell you everything at the beginning, you won't pay attention. Um, but there's one thing that kept coming to my mind and one set of verses that started coming to my mind that I think will be really, really helpful as we discuss this. But the Bible doesn't actually really directly address this issue in the way that we see it in our culture today. Now, certainly, you can look at Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5, which is what most Christians will uh, bring up in some type of conversation, at least on the internet. I've seen. And Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5 says, "A woman must not wear a woman's or a man's clothing, nor a man wear a wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this." And you can certainly make a case for why it's not good to be uh, to go through those type of surgeries, to go through different hormone therapies based on that verse. And uh, just so we're clear from the very beginning, it is sinful to, to continue on a pathway that way, but struggling with it in your mind is differently than actually walking through it, walking through the transition. Now, If people have walked through that transition, it does not mean that they cannot be redeemed. It does not mean that they cannot be saved and that God does not love them anymore, right? So just so we're clear, that's not what we're talking about today. The majority of this uh, sermon message, whatever you wanna call it, is gonna be trying to get you to see where they're coming from so that you can build some compassion and empathy for them. But then we as a church to treat them better and to help them better. So um, instead of like last week where I was gonna go through the theological debate of is homosexuality good? Is it not good? Is it sinful? Is it not sinful? Today is just going to be presenting you some information. because I do believe that you need to be informed about it. This is a a very hot topic in our culture more so than the LGBTQ community. Uh, Transgender and gender identity is much more, uh, at least it seems that way is much more of an issue than it is being a homosexual, being gay or lesbian. Uh, Those things are still huge issues in our culture and they're still being pushed, but gender identity is on a whole different level. And I just wanna say that from how much time I've spent reading stories uh, about that. Now, I do wanna define a few terms for you because when you're hearing these terms, we don't necessarily think of these definitions as the way that our culture is perceiving them today. So the first one I want to define for you is biological sex. Now, biological sex is simply your biological makeup when you were born. So your biological sex is determined by your reproductive organs. Whether you have boy reproductive organs or girl reproductive organs, this is your biological sex. Now, how they will define it and how they will use it, they'll use this phrase called sex assigned by birth. This they're talking about. They're talking about biological sex. The reason that they word it this way, sex assigned by birth, is because the doctor who delivers you looks at the reproductive organs and quote-unquote assigns you a gender. But it's not just the the physical attributes that we can look at. You can actually look into the chromosomes and see that a male uh, will have XY and a female will have XX. Now, I I did read this, and there are very, very extreme cases where that's not always true, but they are extremely rare. We're not talking about those. We're not talking about those things that come up with the chromosomes and the different variations of that. We're talking about people who are born with the XX chromosome and have female reproductive organs, and then those who are born with an XY chromosome and are born with Uh, male reproductive organs. Now for thousands of years and probably how most of you, if not all of you grew up, I know I grew up this way, gender and biological sex or sex assigned by birth were the same thing. That if you, your biological sex said that you were a male, then that was your gender. If they said that you were a female, that was your gender. But in our culture today, that's not the case. This is this is what our culture is, is defining as gender. Gender is not tied to your biological sex. Gender is a social construct of how you navigate life by your identity as he or she, how you dress, your mannerisms, and how you feel. In other words, what our culture would say is that gender and biological sex, though they agree with the biology of the fact, gender is not necessarily tied to our biology. It's determined on how we feel and act. Now, how they will argue this and how uh, this uh, issue comes up is that you have someone who looks like a male, acts like a male, and has male reproductive organs, right? They're biologically a male. And they would say, yes, that, that is a male. And you also have someone else who is born a male, but they act more fem- feminine, they have more maybe feminine characteristics within them and they express themselves as a woman. So the first one, they would say they're a biological male and their gender is identified as male. Whereas the other one, they would say, even though their biology would say that they're a male, their gender is actually female. And it's all based on this idea that society has put this on us. They've put boxes around what a male is supposed to look like, act like. And then they've put a box around what females are supposed to look like and act like. And when you're outside of that box, then there's a different gender. Now, for most of us, that's a little foreign because we've tied gender and biological sex together. But I'm trying to help you understand what they're seeing, what they actually believe. Like this isn't just something that they're making up in their heads This is what they actually believe. This is what they've been taught and told. The other term is transgender in itself. Uh, Mayo Clinic, I looked at their definition from it. They're pulling from different uh, psychology resources as well. They'll say, people who are transgender or gender diverse include this direct quote. Those who have a gender identity that differs from the sex assigned to them at birth. Those whose gender expression does not follow society norms for the sex assigned to them at birth, and those who identify and express their gender outside of the gender binary, which is the traditional view of two genders, male and female, which is actually what they believe is the spectrum. On, on one side of the spectrum, there's male. On the other side of the spectrum, there's female. And then there's all of these genders that are in between, which if you do a, a quick Google search, you'll find if you just, I I did this. Um, I think I used Microsoft Bing because that was just what, what popped up. It wasn't necessarily Google. But I looked up how many genders are there. And what I found was that some websites would say two. The very next website said 50 genders and counting. And then you scroll down one more under that, all 81 genders that we know about. You scroll down, all 72 genders that you need to know about. Scroll down, there's 105 genders. Scroll down a little bit more, a little bit more digging, you'll find there are 8 billion different genders because we all express ourselves differently. So that's gender binary when you hear that term. That's talking about male and female, that's it. Gender, um, anything else aside from the gender binary is what they call gender diverse. So in short, what a transgendered person feels is that their identity, their internal identity does not match up with their biology. They feel like a girl. They, they think like a girl. They, they want to dress like a girl, but biology tells them that they're a man or, or vice versa. They feel like a woman or they, they look like a woman. or You get the picture. It's vice versa, Right? <laughs> The last term I want to define for you as we're going through our discussion is gender dysphoria, which previously was called gender identity disorder. Um, And the DSM-5, the DSM is the um, diagnostic manual for, uh, it's published by the American Psychiatric Association. It's meant for psychologists and psychiatrists. It's like their Bible is one way that it was described to me. It's like the Bible for psychologists and psychiatrists. And basically it defines different terms, different mental health conditions, issues, problems that we see in our, our society. And they add it, they update it regularly because there's more mental illnesses that are showing up. And as they update it, this is what psychiatrists and psychologists will look at to help diagnose and treat patients that come in with mental issues. Now in, in the dsm 4 which was the previous version, it was called gender identity disorder. So it was classified as a disorder. When they updated it in the DSM-5, it was renamed to gender dysphoria. Now, I could have probably an hour conversation of what I've learned about why they changed it and uh, the unhelpfulness that I think is presented in that, but just to define it in their terms, gender dysphoria is the feeling of discomfort or distress that might occur in people whose gender identity differs from their sex assigned at birth or sex-related physical characteristics. So, in other words, what gender dysphoria is, and one of the reasons why they changed it, is it's not the gender identity that's the problem, it's the distress that it causes. And this was the shift that they made from DSM 4 to DSM 5. It's not necessarily their identity in themselves, it's the distress, the, the significant amount of distress that happens. Now, you might be wondering how did we get here? How do we get to this world and this culture where people are wanting to be an opposite gender? People are, are not only that, but wanting to be different animals. There was one, uh, as I was researching, I found one person, and I'm, I know that there's more than that. They had four different identities. They, they identified with their biological sex, which was a female, They wanted to be a male and they felt like they were also a male at times, but they also wanted to be a wolf. So they also identified as a wolf. And and there was one other and I can't remember off the top of my head, right? So there's all of these different identities that they're putting on themselves. How do we get to this point? Well, part of it deals with an actual formal philosophy from some of the top philosophers and great thinkers of our day. Now before, no one was really talking about this, but because of the influence of these philosophers, now everyone's talking about, everyone's questioning it. Now these philosophers are college professors, they're academics, they're uh, professional philosophers who speak on, they write books, they write research papers, they teach college classes, is all of these ideas that gender is not necessarily bound to biological sex. And these ideas eventually spread to the general public. Now, I'm not gonna go deep into that. There's several resources online that you can look at. Uh, one of them was an interview with my philosophy professor from college, and he was interviewed by the pastor of One Life Church. Um, one Life Church in Henderson and going into Evansville, the, the whole One Life Network. They've been doing a series on this. Um, I think they're, they're on their way out of this series, um, at least with their conversations about transgendered people. but. Uh, they have some excellent resources that they're putting out. Uh, they have some excellent uh, sermons about that. So if you want to dive a little bit deeper and want to get a deeper understanding, I would encourage you to look up on Life Network uh, here in Evansville and Henderson and uh, uh, dive a little bit deeper. But they've, they've been producing some great resources. So uh, there's the philosophy that's behind it. But medically speaking, I think gender dysphoria is what brings about most of the issues. Uh, because these are psychologists, psychiatrists that are treating patients in a certain way as so many people are coming in, especially teenagers are coming in with this issue, with this identity crisis. So when I, when I think about all of, the, all of the things and I've been looking at it, we tend to not have compassion for things that we don't understand. And this is where I'm, I'm gonna try and take this uh, conversation with you. We tend to not have compassion for things that we don't understand. Uh, and I'm not just putting that on you. I felt this way too. Um, with, with homosexuality, when it was first in my mind, I'm like, how could someone think that another guy was attractive as a guy? How could, uh, how could a woman think another woman was attractive? Like that just doesn't make sense to me because I don't deal with that. I don't have that issue. And so I didn't have a lot of compassion for them. But then once I heard stories and started connecting, I actually built some friendships that were, are still involved in those relationships. I gained compassion and empathy for where they're actually coming from and the distress that they, they have with this. And also with transgendered people. I don't know very many personally, but just after reading all of the stories, I mean, for the longest time, I looked at this and I was like, well, that's just an excuse. Like you're, you're just... Just because the way that you feel doesn't mean that's who you actually are. And, and now I, I realize that they, they genuinely feel this way. It, it's not that they're just coming up with this in their mind like an instantaneous or rash decision. It's something that they've dealt with for a long time. If you read some of the stories, and I would encourage you, if you don't know anyone that you can talk to, just search online, why do people want to be transgender? And you'll find real life stories of people and, and what they've gone through to get to where they are. And I'm telling you, if you have a compassionate, empathetic heart, you'll look at that and you'll say, that makes sense for why they wanna do that. And you'll see the brokenness that's really in our society. But I wanna try and paint a picture for you. I'm gonna use several different real stories and make up two different stories that I think relates to maybe the majority of people who struggle with this gender identity crisis. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna personify them in two different names, John and Jane. Now, if your name's John or Jane, I'm not talking about you. These are made up people with real life stories influencing them. So they're, uh, I guess if this was a movie, it would be based on a real story. From ages five to seven, they both wish to be the opposite gender. John wanted to be a girl. Jane wanted to be a boy, but for two different reasons. John never seemed to fit in with the other boys. All the other boys, they liked trucks, sports, getting muddy, playing rough, going hunting. But John wasn't interested in those things. He found himself being friends with more girls because he valued talking about his feelings. He he liked having the tea parties. He liked playing dress up with the other girls. He liked cooking and doing the things that his mom did rather than what his dad liked to do. He preferred to stay clean instead of going and getting all muddy and dirty. And he felt bad for the animals that were being hunted. His parents and teachers and other adults wanted him to play sports. They pushed him to play sports and to act more like the other boys, but he never really desired to do those things. He was more interested in having the tea parties and and the sleepovers with the girls. As John got older, he began to realize by around the age five, six or seven years old, that he wasn't the same as other boys. He didn't act the same. He didn't really wanna dress the same. He didn't really have the same interest and he connected way more with girls. And this started to cause him distress because his parents, his teachers, they didn't understand him. They thought he was a weird kid. So he naturally got bullied. As he got older, the pressure to act more like a boy as he continued to grow and develop, caused him even more distress to the point to where he was suicidal and full and filled with depression. After a quick Google search of what he was feeling, he heard the term transgender and instantly connected to it. It was exactly how he felt. He felt like he was a girl trapped in a boy's body. But the pressures of society led him to hide his feelings. And eventually, after years of torment in his mind, when he became a young adult and had, uh, was able to make his own decisions, he decided to get hormone therapy and begin transitioning into a girl. He started dressing like a girl and looking like a girl. And finally, he felt relief after the years of distress. He felt as if he was living who he was created to be. Jane didn't fit the absolute norm of society for girls. She hated wearing makeup. She loved to hunt, play sports, get involved in all the, the wrestling and roughhousing. She didn't really like to talk about her feelings, but she enjoyed all the things that the boys were doing. The culture would say that she acted more like a boy than she did act like a girl. But unlike John, she never felt like she was a boy. She, she identified as a girl. She knew that she was a girl. She just really enjoyed boy things. At home, she felt loved. But when she went to school, she was bullied because her interests were different than the other little girls. And this caused her some distress. But when her uncle and a few of her cousins and even some family members would come and visit, they would sexually and physically abuse her but they would rarely touch her brothers. And noticing this, and after years of abuse continuing to happen in her life, she thought, well, maybe if I was a boy, I wouldn't be abused. Maybe if I I, I could somehow act and look and be like a boy, I wouldn't be abused by the male figures in my life. And so she started Hormone Therapy not only so that she could be stronger to defend herself, but in hopes that the abuse would eventually end. And I'm gonna give you this real quote from a real person. It's not that I wanted to be a boy. It was the fact that I didn't want to be a girl anymore. Now, hopefully you see the difference between the two. One really feels like they're trapped in the wrong body. The other one is trying to find a solution to end her abuse. And as I was reading stories, so many stories that were just like this, man, my heart broke. And I saw the brokenness that is truly living out right before our eyes. But it's the same brokenness we all have. It's the same broken identity that we all face. They might wear their brokenness differently with their certain issues, but certainly we're all broken and we're all in need of a savior. We've been broke since the very beginning. In Genesis chapter one, verse 27, you'll find that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them in Genesis two. God looks at Adam and he says, this isn't good. I need to make someone else for him. So he he creates all of the animals, but none of the animals were suitable for Adam. So he created Eve, a woman, male and female. He created them. And when he saw Adam and Eve together, that's when he said, this is very good. You see, God created something very good when he created us. Something that he doesn't say with his other creation. He says it was good for other creations, but when he created us in in his image and likeness, he said, it is very good. He has this beautiful design and order of things from the very beginning. But when sin entered the world in Genesis chapter three, sin distorted that wonderful design and it broke us. The identity that God gave us in the beginning has been distorted and broken because of our sins and the sins of those who came before us. And as I was studying and reading these stories, like I said at the beginning, I listened to both arguments. I tried my best to filter out all of the different political agendas because now we've politicized this and you can't talk about it without being politically correct. But trying to go and and sort through all of the different agendas that were happening on on both sides of of the political spectrum, I invested a lot of time to try and understand this issue to the best of my ability. And I kept hearing this word come into my head. They have a broken identity just like you do. They have a broken identity just like you do. And then I kept hearing these verses come into my head. And what I love about these verses is that David also struggled with a broken identity at times. He was very sinful. I mean, we we know about the story with him and Bathsheba, but then after that moment, he continued to fall into sin again and again and again and kept asking for forgiveness. And as you read in the book of Psalms, you'll see that he pours out his heart to God And in Psalm chapter 139, you probably know it well. He says this, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. See, this same beautiful design from the beginning is still given to you. And God, as he's creating us and knitting us together in our mother's wombs, as he did that years ago, he created you perfectly. But the way that we perceive it is broken because sin still enters in and distorts and breaks God's perfect creation. When I think about the word knitting that that David chose and that we translate as knitting, Knitting requires a lot of thought uh, thought behind each strand, how it's going to be woven together to give the pattern that you desire, how it will look when it's completed. Each strand has a purpose and it's chosen to make the end product unique. And God did this with you. He created you on purpose for a purpose. He decided which DNA strands would come from your mother and which part of the DNA would come from your father. And as those two united, he would knit your chromosomes and your DNA together, intricately, piece by piece, to make you unique and gifted for a purpose. He designed your identity. He crafted your talents. He ordained your days before the beginning of time. And if God is so detailed, in creating all of the complex systems of your body to work together so flawlessly, then why would your biological sex be an accident? Why would he purposely create in you inside of the wrong body? You see, he wouldn't, because God doesn't create mistakes, but sin distorts and breaks his perfect creation. And because sin broke us, our worldview is also broken and we become very convinced that God created us to sin in particular ways. When our identity is wrapped up in what we can see and what we can feel, if our identity is focused on what others say and what culture decides, then we'll be given a false identity in which we live our lives and it will never stay the same. Like you know that feelings change throughout the day. Like I can be really happy one moment and then something happened and be really sad the next. If my identity is based on my, or if my identity is based on my feelings, then it will waver all over the place. If my identity is based on what the culture says about me, well then every few years, my identity is gonna change because culture continues to change. Does anyone not notice how fast our culture has changed in just five years? you're wrapped up in that and that is your identity, you're different than you were and not in a good way. We believe that the the sins that we commit is our identity. And this is what a lot of Christians and I think people deal with is that when they sin, they identify with their sins. So they identify that they're broken and not redeemed. They identify that they are unforgiven instead of forgiven. They, They say, well, I, I'm, just, I'm just condemned and, and I'm, not, I'm not good enough, but God says, but you're valuable, you're loved. And in the church world, it's not much different either. Have you ever desired to have the gifts, time, or talents of another person in the church? Have you ever wanted to identify with having a good singing voice, with having a good speaking voice, with being able to handle kids like so-and-so handles their kids? And if you identify yourself with what you aren't, then you're gonna identify yourself as something that you never were meant to be. If you're not good with kids, you shouldn't be working with kids. (laughs) Like you shouldn't be working in the kids ministry, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose for you. Just because you're not good at something doesn't mean that you can't do something else, that you weren't designed to do something else. See, this false identity that we often believe that we aren't good enough, that our sin is what defines us by what the culture defines us, by the identity that we build for ourselves, whether it be our job, our income, our our house, our our car, whatever we identify ourselves with. Maybe it's our, our family lineage. None of those really matter. They're false identities, Because God says you're gifted, you're valuable, you're loved, no matter what you struggle with, no matter what you believe your identity is, your identity is found in Christ, the solid foundation that never shakes, never moves, never changes. And as a church, we need to help people find their true identity in Christ so they can live their purpose that God has for them. A pastor that spoke on this a few years ago, I came across one of his messages and he said it this way. Those false identities we keep giving ourselves are not a sign of how God created us. It's a sign of how sin has distorted us. And I love that. It's like when Paul talks about the body of Christ, we all have a role to play. We all are gifted in certain ways. So some of us are the hands, some of us are the feet, some of us are are the eyes and the nose and the mouth. Some of those are, are all of those things. But if we desire to be another part of the body, then the whole church becomes disrupted. It becomes split, but what Paul is saying and what he advocates for is that we need to do better by helping people find their true God-given identity and then work within that purpose. Because when we work within that purpose, then we look more like Christ as the church. We look more like the bride of Christ as the church. But the world will say that you're a mistake that you're born in the wrong body, you're an accident, you're meaningless and worthless because it's all just random happenings from the Big Bang. But God says, I knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made with a purpose and you were bought with a great cost, with a great price, the price of my son, Jesus. And he died on the cross for you so that you could live free from your bondage of sin. The world will say that they hate those who disagree or hurt them or don't affirm them. You see that in our world today? If you don't affirm someone and their actions, then it's hate speech. If you don't or if you don't agree with them, if you don't uh, affirm their actions or if you hurt them, then you're just being really hateful and you're not being loving. But what God says is that for while you were still sinners, while you were still rebelling against me and hurting me, Christ still died for you and I still sent him for you because you are loved because you are valuable and nothing can separate you from the love of God. See, where the world says, hey, if you disagree with me, then you hate me. God says, I don't care if you disagree with me, I still love you. And we should be a reflection of that in our culture too, where the world says, find your truth, be your best self, be whoever you wanna be. They're essentially saying, be your own God. God says, put off your old self because it's being corrupted by deceitful desires, but be made new in your attitude and your mindset and put on your new self, which was created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. The world will say that you're condemned, but God says there's no condemnation for those in Christ. The world will reject you, but God says you're adopted, you're family. The world says that you will always be conquered by your sins. You'll always be conquered by your uh, regrets and your mistakes of your past. But God says, no, you're more than conquerors through Christ. See, our identity is based on the fact that we are the workmanship of God created in Christ to fulfill a purpose in Christ. So as Christians, you can't let the world tell you anything different because it's not true. You are who God created you to be. You are not who you are supposed to be or who you feel you're supposed to be. You are who God created you to be. There's an old saying, and I know I'm gonna butcher it because it's just coming to my mind right now and I didn't write it down. There's the old saying, you can't judge a fish on his ability to climb a tree. See, we're all created differently with different purposes. And what some would say that the fish trying to climb the tree, we should just keep on telling them to climb the tree, climb the tree, you'll make it eventually. And don't tell the world, uh, don't tell anyone else, don't let anyone tell you that you can't climb that tree. Well, I'm here to tell you fish cannot climb trees. They can't because that's not how God designed them. That's not how God created them. He created them for a purpose on purpose. So to find your identity in Christ is to find who Christ created you to be, not who you're creating for yourself or for others, but who God created you to be. And what I love about this Psalm is that David knew exactly who he was, even in the midst of sin. Even as a broken sinner who who seemed to fail time after time again. And earlier in Psalm 139, he talks about how he can't even go to uh, the darkest depths because there is no darkness that's too dark for God. And what I think David is saying is that I've, I've gone as deep as I can go into my sin and you're still there. You still love me. No matter how dark things got, God still knew him. God was still with him and God still created him. Now I read this um, as I was studying and it was actually last night. I was trying to figure out where I was gonna put a few different things, making my final touches. And I read this, uh, David, when he's writing, uh, for you created me in my, uh, you created my inmost being. When he says that line, we often don't see the Hebrew that's behind it. But the word that he uses is a verb called "kanal." Now "kanal" is not the normal word for creation used in the Old Testament. When you go back to the creation accounts in Genesis, that word is not used for creation. There's a few other words that are used. But this particular word, I think, was an intentional choice by David. Kanawh does mean create in this one context, but in every other context in Scripture, it means acquire by purchase. Although the transactional nature of the term remains dominant throughout the Old Testament, the word in this context clearly refers to creation. It's almost as if David was saying, you created me in my inmost being. You created me from the beginning, before any breath was was breathed, before any word was spoken, you created me and you ordained my days. You gave me a purpose in my life but sin came in and destroyed that. It broke it. So I also know God, that when you created my inmost being, you also bought my identity back. You bought me back with the blood of your son. As we go into this world and into our community, my prayer is that they see that, they see that identity that even though it's been broken and we, we often distort it and we think it's something different and it's really not, my prayer is that they see that their identity was bought back. They themselves, God bought them back. We were his creation and sin separated us from him. But the creator sent his son to die on the cross and to rise again so that we would be bought back and be back in a living purpose that we were meant to live. And I just wanna say that if, if you or someone that you know, right, if you or someone that you know is struggling with gender identity, with their sexual orientation or identity or any other false identity that this world has to offer you and placed on you, know that I personally want to help you find your true identity in Christ. And I know that there's people in this church that wanna do the same thing. But if you or someone else that you know is struggling with this, And today is the day that you're like, man, I know someone in my life and and they're struggling with this. They're deep into this identity crisis that they're facing. They're focused more on the identity that they're obtaining and they're gaining rather than the identity that they received through Christ. And I just wanna come up to the front. I wanna come up to the altar and pray for them. To let them know, uh, to let God know and just come before God and say, God, I want to be the one that comes before them. I want to go and restore that relationship that I that was broken off with them. I want to come in and I want to help them. And God, please use me to help them find their true identity in Christ. Or maybe you yourself or, or someone in here, maybe even online, they're struggling with their identity, whether it be transgender or sexual orientation, or just some other type of identity, I want you to know that if you, you can find your true identity in Christ, and it's not as a failure, it's as a conqueror. It's not as insignificant, it's as highly valued. And I would encourage you to follow Christ today, to come up to the altar, to send us a message online, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the grave. And scripture says you will be saved, you will be redeemed, you will be forgiven. And Christ, and along with this church, we're gonna help you restore that image and that identity that Christ, or that, that sin so, so much damaged and broke in us. I want you to know that you're loved. And the ones that you love who are dealing with this, they're love too. Let us not as a church, forget about them. Let's not put it off because we don't understand or just agree with them because we only don't know what we're talking about and we don't know what they're talking about. So we're just gonna agree with them to pacify their desires, to pacify the conversation. We need to be having these hard conversations with people and with ourselves to know not only what we believe that's biblically based, but so that we can draw the lines that we need to in our world in our, and in our life and draw those boundaries. So as we sing this last song, I think it's the savior is waiting. The Savior's waiting for you to either respond to the call to go to that person in your life and be the light in their life or for you as an individual to come before God and say, God, I know that I've been given some false identity today, that I've been believing in this false identity, but I truly want your identity that you have. I want to know your purpose when you created me. And I would encourage you to come up to the front, come and sit on the front, uh, front seats and know that you are loved by God.